1: Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 149, and we are recording on Tuesday, March 14th. I'm Katie McLean Horner, along with Kendra Winchester, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello, Kendra. How are you doing today?
0: I am doing pretty well, Katie. Uh, how, was, how was vacation? I'm I'm so excited that you were able to go to California, but also, like, it was, you know, snowing.
1: Yeah, no, it was, yeah, apparently Los Angeles got some snow a couple of days before we flew in, which I was really thrilled about. That's sarcasm in case no one (laughs) picked up on that. And no, I had a really good vacation. We spent 10 days out there, um, about half the time in Los Angeles and the other half in San Diego. The weather was infinitely better in san diego and by that i mean there was no precipitation whatsoever and a fair amount of sunshine even though the temperature didn't get as high as i would have liked it was still low 60s and i was out in the sun enough that i got pretty crispy fried on a couple of (laughs) occasions because i the first time i went to uh it was because i was at uh santa monica pier And for some reason, did not think to bring sunscreen with me. I wasn't sure how long we were going to be there. And um, it turned out to be like the first gorgeous day that we had on our trip. And when I came back, my entire face, my chest, it was just bright red. And I was like, oh, I've got to stop doing this to myself. (laughs) I'm like, this was not intentional. I just completely forgot that sunscreen was a thing on a day when the sun was shining directly on the ocean. but no it was it was really good we got to spend about half the trip with my in-laws my entire the like that whole ex- side of the extended family we did a vacation for the first half and then my husband and I did our own thing in San Diego for the second half and it was really amazing San Diego was gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. And since we have family that live out in Los Angeles, I'm sure that this is probably going to become at least a yearly thing where we go out there. But it was it was a good it was a good time. And it was a nice little reprieve from the terrible weather back home. And I was very grumpy to come back to that. (laughs) (laughs) You
0: know, California always has, and typically such beautiful weather. I love it there. It's I don't know, the Golden Hills. I Granted, I go mostly to Northern California, but, you know, they have great food, yes. great weather, beautiful oh sights to see.
1: I have got to say, I had one of the best breakfasts that I have ever had in – we were in San Diego, and we went to – I guess it's a, it's a little – it's a chain out there, Breakfast Republic. But I had a pancake flight, and it's basically – they were like, look at our amazing pancakes – Pick three of them, and there's your breakfast. So I had baklava pancakes, Oreo pancakes, and lemon coconut pancakes. Wow. Yeah. And I had a side of potatoes and Brussels sprouts with bacon and Parmesan cheese. Oh, my Goodness. Like the waitress came by and I was like, You don't even understand. Like, this is some of the best breakfast I have had in a long time. Like, this is bringing me to tears almost. So, that was outrageous and hands down one of my favorite experiences out there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, if you're out in California, hit up Breakfast Republic. It is amazing. But so how how were was things here? I saw that Liberty was our was our regular guest host.
0: <laughs> yeah, she was lovely. We talked about middle grade mysteries. So Perfect. I listened to like 3 books in a series in one day cuz I just love them so much and it was a, it was a lovely time. Liberty is always wonderful.
1: Oh yes. Yeah. She is she's always we were talking about how she, she is our she has been a guest host on this show so many times that I'm like she's just she's an honorary third host, like at this point.
0: I think so. I think so. She should add it that to her job description.
1: Honorary <laughs> <laughs> third host and special friend of Red or Dead People Everywhere.
0: It's true. I love that. Dead people everywhere. Red or deadheads. That fits her aesthetic.
1: Yeah. And that I can't believe it's taken this long to come up with a name for, for, our, for our little community.
0: Redder Deadheads, Redder like Dead new T-shirts. Yes. The Book Riot's it. next bonfire campaign. <laughs> <laughs> I love
1: it. I love it. So, have you uh, been able to read anything lately? I know this is a little bit of a faster turnaround <laughs> for our recording. I know you've got stuff coming up.
0: Uh, that's Dylan sneezing in the background. It's for everyone's delight. <laughs> He's always here for opinions. And- I have not, I haven't finished anything that is mysteries at the moment, so I will save the one I'm currently reading to talk about a little later, but what are you currently reading?
1: Oh my gosh, all of my holds seem to come in at once, so I'm really juggling a huge stack of books right now, but really quickly, one book that I read on vacation, and I want to give a special shout out to this book because it was a sanity saver. The book is The Resemblance by Laura Nossett, and this came out... Um, At the end of last year, it's a very, it's very much like a dark academia style psychological thriller about a fraternity on the University of Georgia campus in Athens, Georgia. And it's very much got a ton of French feel to it, which was the reason why I picked up the book in the first place. And I really, really liked it. Like, I started it on the plane ride to California and I ended up finishing it on the plane ride coming back. But the reason why this was a sanity saver for me was because we had, an, when we landed in LA, we had an absolutely awful experience at the car rental agency. And we spent four and a half hours at the car rental agency. Because I don't know what happened. They said it had something to do with the bad weather from the day before, but basically, they did not have enough cars available for the, all the people who had made reservations previously. We had made ours a month in advance. We spent two hours standing in line to get to the front of the line and say it was going to be at least another three hours or up to another three hours before we could even get our car. It was in the oh afternoon. Goodness. I hadn't eaten. We're two hours behind, so I'm even hungrier. There there are no functional vending machines anywhere. We are literally sitting on the cold linoleum floor at this place, surrounded by dozens of other people in the same predicament. It's cold. I'm miserable. And that book, I decided at one point, I was like, all right, if this is going to be what today's like, then I'm pulling out my book and I'm reading I read so much of that book sitting on the floor at the car <laughs> agency. And I tell you, if I did not have that book, I probably would have cried because oh, no. it was so miserable. Like, I don't even know how my husband got through it. He said there was some there was interesting stuff on Reddit that kept his his attention. <laughs> But I sat on that floor sitting on my jacket because I was wearing leggings and the linoleum was very cold on my butt. And I read The Resemblance by Laura Nossett. And it kept me very entertained. And it kept me from wanting to just run out of that place screaming. So for that, even though it has absolutely nothing to do with the story, for that, I will always be eternally grateful. (laughs) (sighs) And I have learned my lesson not to run from that particular agency again.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, traveling, if it can go wrong, it it probably will.
1: Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. That's what you get for going with one of the cheaper options on Expedia. I'm just saying.
0: <laughs> yeah, I married into the Winchester family. And so as as one might know, there's always supernatural things around the Winchester family. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> they have a Winchester fam- traveling curse. I know it sounds silly, I thought it sounded silly, but on our honeymoon, like we got a flat tire on the way to the airport, we went to the wrong hotel, the wrong location, like any, everything went wrong. I became a believer on day one of marrying into this family. So we're traveling tomorrow. So what I figured out is you have to leave something behind. Like you have to forget something to appease the gods of traveling or whoever, and then it will go better.
1: So, like, if you intentionally leave behind your hairbrush?
0: No, you have to ac- – it's accidental. Oh, it has
1: to be accidental. You can't, yes. like, just intentionally leave something. Correct.
0: Oh. So, it's tricky, right? Because So, I try to make sure that all the big things that I want, I can find. And I've always left something behind on accident. Wow. That's what I think helps. The bigger the item, the more important the item, the better your traveling will go. It's a whole thing. So. Wow. Now everyone knows, this is what you have to do when you marry a Winchester.
1: Wow, this is fascinating. (laughs) Like, I have so many questions that I can't ask during this because that's not the point of this podcast. (laughs) But wow, that would drive me nuts.
0: I feel like it's very on brand for this podcast, you know, (laughs) the weird, supernatural, whatever. So we're taking Gwen and Dylan. So the Corgis and I and all my conference stuff are heading up to Kentucky. Um, We're trying to decide what route to take and
1: all that, so. Well, I will have some questions about your travel experience when you come back. I will update you all. (laughs) All right, well, I think with that, let's go ahead and jump into this episode. But real quick, (laughs) let's take take a quick pause for our first sponsor. Alright. So welcome all of you newly coined Red or Deadheads. <laughs> if you are if you are new to this show, welcome. We are delighted to have you. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back. As always, we are so happy to have you with us every couple of weeks. And like we said at the beginning of the show, we talk about mysteries and suspense and thrillers and true crime and just about anything that falls under those categories. And so it casts a wide net. So we might be talking about subgenres that we don't talk about as frequently, or we might be discussing movie adaptations or awards or author read-alikes or just anything along those lines. There's, There's a lot of wiggle room here. So if it's mysterious and suspenseful, it is fair game. And this is the part of the show where we always put out a call to our listeners to let us know if you have any suggestions for future episodes, because they really, truly do help us plan out what we want to talk about. And many of our previous episodes have been guided by suggestions from the listeners. It's a great way to know what you would like to hear more of. It's a great way for us to expand our own reading horizons. So if you have any ideas or suggestions, you can shoot us an email or reach out to us via social media. We have all of our contact information at the end of the show and in the show notes, so don't worry about trying to jot it down right now. We just put out the call at the beginning to get the creative juices flowing while you listen. And even if you don't have an idea and just want to say hi, there's nothing that we love more. So definitely do that if you feel so inclined. And if you enjoy listening, definitely leave us a review over at Apple Podcasts so that other people can find us. And with that yeah, there hasn't been a ton happening in the in the mystery world that I have found over the last couple of weeks, which honestly kind of tends to come and come and go in waves here. So I say, let's let's jump into the episode. What do you think?
0: I think that sounds good. We have a very interesting theme uh, for this week. And if you you've seen the title of this already, you know it is Noir. But we thought we would start with a discussion of of what is noir as a genre.
1: Yeah, because noir is one of, and I will say this as someone who does not usually read noir, much to the chagrin of one of my best friends who she's like got all of the classics, like their box sets. She's like, I've got Raymond Chandler, I've got Dashiell Hammett, what do you need? And I'm like, no, 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 it's okay. I've got the books that I'm talking about. But she loves that aesthetic for me it's not it's not something that rings as many of my bells but it's noir is one of i think i define it very much by a feel like an aesthetic it's got if i feel like whether it's film or literature i feel like it's dark it's gritty it's cynical, you have these characters that especially in like the golden age, you'd call them hard boiled where, you know, they they're, they're fairly jaded, they have, um, they have kind of a bleak outlook on life. And I think noir really, I think I think it just really looks at like, the underbelly of society, whether that's in a big city, or in a small town. And of of course, there are all different like sub sub genres of noir as well. But I think it's it's something it's a category. Yeah, I think dark, gritty, bleak, looking at the dark elements of life and society and human nature and all of that stuff. But it's it's one of those things that I feel like it's like, you know it when you see it.
0: Yeah. And I think there's also a lot of sub sub genres of noir. I, for lack of a better term, there are a lot of different kinds of noir. And there's even a noir series where they go to different countries and different literary traditions and do a short story collection in noir. And so that's really interesting to see how noir manifests in different literary traditions, which is pretty cool.
1: Yeah. And it's, and I also think there is a tendency in the publishing industry that loves to slap a label on stuff and I feel like there's a tendency to kind of put noir at the end of a lot of different descriptors as well whether or not it's actually considered noir like after gone girl came out they started call I I started seeing stuff about chick noir and I'm like okay we oh. can take that term and throw <laughs> it into a fiery mountain yes please do <laughs> so I feel like noir gets tossed around pretty freely but I mean, there's Nordic noir, which I think meets a lot of the, you know, the kind of the descriptors that yeah. we're talking about here. No, there's Southern noir. I know that you've talked and kind of probably a sub 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 genre that it's going to be like the Appalachian noir. <laughs> um, like, like we can we can go pretty deep here if we if we wanted to get re- really uh, really really nitty gritty. But there's and then I was I I have not done enough thinking to really have a fully formed uh, thought about this, but I've also seen the term domestic noir thrown around, and I'm like, okay, so how is is this different than domestic thrillers, or like domestic psychological suspense, or are we just throwing the word noir around just slap it on slap it on something to give it to make it more marketable but that was something that i noticed recently um i don't remember what i was reading but i saw that and i was just like okay this is interesting and i'm not sure exactly how i feel about it or what my thoughts are but
0: yeah and i think for me today i i took a i took a broad brush on noir because i i think like you said it's thrown around a lot and everyone seems to have a different definition i looked up a bunch of different Air quotes, official places, and they all just had a different definition. So I kind of just went with it mm-hmm. and have a very broad definition. And so I'm going to give two examples in a subgenre of noir, for lack of a better term. Yes.
1: And I was going <laughs> to say, please, please kick us off. I feel like I've been I've been rambling a lot. So
0: <laughs> okay, all right. Well, then I will start with a book uh, called When These Mountains Burn by David Joy. Uh, this came out in 2020, and it was one of the books that was really hit hard by the pandemic because it sold out, and it couldn't re- be reprinted for a long time, and the paperback is just coming out this summer. So please go support this book if you can. David Joy, the author, is a wonderful North Carolina author. So this book is... Appalachian Noir. Now, it is different than Southern Noir, strictly speaking, because it is Appalachian, but it is Southern Appalachia. So there's a lot of different literary histories coming to make this book. Um I've seen some people talk about David Joy as hillbilly noir, uh, hillbilly gothic, Appalachian gothic, but Grit Lit is also thrown around, which is interesting. I think it's an interesting title that kind of encompasses all of this, but yeah. whatever you want to call it, it's a very interesting Entry into the genre, I think. Um, so this book is about Raymond Mathis and his son is an addict. Now, as we know, the opioid crisis has hit Appalachia really hard. And so that's really what this book deals with. And it's set in Western North Carolina in the mountains. So think like Asheville and, and beyond, I guess.
1: Oh, nice. That's where, where I went on vacation last year.
0: <laughs> it's, it's gorgeous. That is like the bougie part of you know, the mm-hmm. region, but it's still, it's still a nice city if you want to visit. But um, So this is about Raymond Mathis and his experience deciding what he's going to do with his son. His son just does not seem to have any desire to attempt to even go into long-term recovery, and his dad is kind of tired of bailing him out. But his son gets into a lot of trouble with a drug dealer. And how this story is told is from multiple perspectives. So you have Raymond at the center with his relationship with his son, but we enter into the perspectives of a bunch of characters around this man. So we learn more about the different, um, like different communities of people who are addicts of various kinds. We get into some of the local people in the town, some of the law enforcement and it's really a beautiful story. It's a very difficult story to read, but I think that Raymond represents a resiliency that a lot of Appalachia just has and has had to have to keep going. And that seems to be the story of our lives. And so that's why I think this Appalachian noir is, fits that bleak part of humanity. But I like the way that David Joy leaves glimpses of hope um, still in his story.
1: Oh, I am so glad that your book has hope <laughs> because uh-huh. when I get to my first pick and it's yeah, the, the my first pick is bleak. But no, I I think that's important and I think a lot of books that we would label noir I think have to have that balance between between the the grittiness and the despair and you know, have that balanced out by, like like you say, like flashes of hope or like small glimpses.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I, I think for me, when reading books in general, I think hope is important because as a humanity needs hope, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to face the realities of life, but also like leave that glimmer of hope for people in the future. So I really appreciate what uh, David Joy has done. I love this book so much. I went and found all of his backlist and hardback, especially since his book sold out and he wasn't able to sell any work. So like, dude, I want to support you. So I went and found all of them and he has a new book coming out in the summer. So very excited for all of that happenings. Um, and that is When These Mountains Burn by David Joy. And uh, yeah, That's, what's your first pick?
1: <laughs> uh, well, for, I was going to say the first thing, one thing that kept coming to my mind after we decided we wanted to do noir and I started reading the two books that I picked. There's a line, well, the line is from Hemingway, but I know it because it's the last line of the movie Seven. And again, you want to talk about like bleak, that is, that would, I think would be a good example of a film with very strong noir tendencies. But uh, Morgan Freeman's character says, Hemingway once said, the world is a, the world is a beautiful place, a fine and beautiful place and worth fighting for. I agree with the last part. And I feel like that sentiment just kind of encompasses what we're talking about here. Also, that is one of my favorite last lines of a movie ever. But yeah, so my first pick is one that we have mentioned a couple of times on the show before. And I had not uh, picked it up to read it yet. And so I took this as an opportunity to do so. And that is The Devil Takes You Home by Gabino Iglesias which came out last year and he's had other books published uh, prior to this but this is kind of like his mainstream breakout novel it's been nominated for uh, I believe the Edgar Awards um it was it's been nominated for multiple horror awards including the Bram Stoker Award for best novel um so this one definitely straddles the line between like suspense noir and horror and like I indicated a couple of minutes ago, this book is bleak, oh my gosh, which I knew going in, but I was reading it that I was like, oh my goodness. Um, I described a small part of the story to my husband, and I won't give spoilers here, but I'm like, yeah, this happens in the book, and he just looked at me and he was like, yeah, I think I'm going to give that one a pass. So just beware if you go into this book that it is intense, but... The story follows Mario, who is, at the beginning of the book, has, um, he is married to a woman and they have a young daughter. It is not a spoiler to say, within a couple of chapters, he does not have either of them anymore. So trigger warning for that if, well, just assume all of the trigger warnings for this book. I think we'll, we'll, we'll just give that a, bl- a blanket statement. But his daughter has leukemia And in order to try to keep his marriage together and to pay his daughter's hospital bills, he takes a job as a hitman. And he surprises himself because he is actually quite good at it and actually kind of enjoys it and finds it cathartic in a way that he can't, you know, that he can't experience elsewhere in his life. So shortly into the book, um, unfortunately, his daughter dies and his marriage dissolves. Not a spoiler. It, It happens pretty early in the book and so he's trying to grapple with this immense loss and he gets a uh he gets an offer for of course the the well-known trope that one final job and if he's able to help pull this off he will get $200,000 which he's like this could be enough to give me a to give me just a brand new start elsewhere and so it involves uh, trying to intercept a, sh- a shipment of drug money that's crossing the border from uh, Texas into Mexico. And he is going to be going with two other two other men, one who uh, one who he knows well, the other one who he doesn't. And they're going to kind of be going on this journey to intercept the money to take out the required people and deliver the cash to the person who's ordering the job. There is, and so on the, on the surface, it seems like, okay, this is, you know, straightforward. It's going to be difficult, and this is probably a bad idea, but it seems pretty straightforward. Oh, he quickly learns, this is not straightforward. This is, there. there is much darker stuff happening, supernatural stuff that might be happening. And so this is really kind of like a like an odyssey, like this very, very dark type of odyssey. And that's where I will leave it. But yeah, I ha- it is a very readable book. It, But yeah, it is bleak. I don't recommend it, use it, using it for bedtime reading, which I did do for a couple of nights because that was the only time I had to read. So maybe don't do that. But if you are inclined towards the dark, demented, and disturbing, like I am, and you've seen this book and you've been curious about it, pick it up. It is, it is def, I think it definitely hits those noir characteristics. Like if you want to talk about the, the dark side of humanity, oh boy, this gives it. (laughs) I feel like, have you read this book? I feel like you, I may, I remember you talking about it on a previous episode. I don't think so. No, I could be hallucinating. I remember someone talking about this book on, on this show. And I I will leave it at that. My memory has been bad the last few days. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so if that sounds like your jam, definitely pick it up. And again, that is The Devil Takes You Home by Gabino Iglesias. All right. And then before we jump to our next picks, let's go ahead and take a brief pause for our second sponsor. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
0: All right, take it away, Kendra. All right, so my second pick is a book called On the Savage Side by Tiffany McDaniel, and this is a book that I haven't finished yet to be upfront, but I am enjoying so far, if it's enjoying is the right word. So this book is set in Chillicothe, Ohio in Ross County. And I think it's important to note that that is where my family is from historically. There's been family of mine in that county since the 1700s, like it's a big center place for the culture from where I come from. And I grew up just down the river from where this book is set, even though my grandparents still live there. So I was in Chillicothe and the surrounding county all the time. And this is a book I was very nervous about, right? So Tiffany McDaniel is also from Appalachian, Ohio, like I am. But this is an example of Appalachian Noir and Tiffany McDaniel. My stars, this woman can write a sentence. She is one of the most beautiful prose stylists I have ever seen. And so she writes books and stories that feel almost otherworldly in the way that she tells them. She has this way of almost making you feel like the book has magic in it, but it doesn't. Like, it's it's very realistic to an extreme, but she uses a lot of the natural Appalachian storytelling cadences and things that you might be familiar with, and uh, I don't know how to describe it, but the way she tells stories is great, and I've read her other two books as well. Um, She does have, again, like, all the trigger warnings there's uh, this is a book about the Chillicothe six, the six women who went missing or were found dead in the Sayota river or in um, or paint Creek. Can't remember which one, but uh, how to describe it. This book follows two sisters and they are kind of used to situate the story, right? So arcade and Daffodil are twin sisters and they grow up in a very tumultuous household. Um, their dad dies when they're really young They're sort of partially raised by their grandmother and their aunt who seems to be a sex worker and like they don't, they just, they just do the thing, you know, how you would run outside and you play outside in the woods, like that is their vibe. And then in 2014, a bunch of women go missing. So what happens is, is that this story is told in a non-linear way with all of these women's perspectives and also you have the river itself, you have the river voicing its own thoughts almost at the end of different chapters and there's like photos, illustrations, all sorts of things in the novel. It's fascinating. And so I think Tiffany McDaniel is such a again beautiful prose stylist, but it's a stark and violent beauty that she has in her storytelling. And I don't know, I'm not doing it justice, <laughs> but there's a lot going on, <laughs> as you
1: may have gathered. <laughs> um, have you ever read Tiffany McDaniel? I haven't, but I something when you're talking about her language and stuff, that was that element was something else that I noticed when I was listening to my second pick, which I'll talk about in a couple minutes. but i I was thinking about how, I mean, there are different noir is very can be very stark and very bleak. But I think it you really have to have a strong mastery of the language in order to do it justice. Because even if the writing is kind of stripped away, it still has to be extremely evocative. And that's something that's something that comes across very clear in my pick. And so I think it's interesting that you're mentioning, you know, the, you know, specifically the writing style as being a really central part to to this particular book.
0: Yeah, and it's, interesting because also Donald Ray Pollock who wrote Devil all the time um and I think the Heavenly Table and knock' em stiff he's also from this county um he's a little younger than my grandparents but he has a very similar violent noir gritlet Appalachian Noir stuff going on in all in his stories and if you want it was made into a Netflix film everything so you can watch Devil all the time if you would like but I think it's also important to note that there is some stereotypes that you just have to be aware of heading into this, that this is noir, but just be aware that sometimes people think that this is actually What like, like this um, extreme version that they're presenting as a noir book is like all of Appalachia, and they're telling a fictional story. So it's just really important to just be aware of all the social aspects that books don't come in a vacuum. Um, But this is a literary tradition where these elements are put to the forefront. So... Uh, I want to hear more people what you think of this. I will update everyone when I finish it on the next episode in the currently reading section. But um, please email me here. And we have it in the show notes. I want to hear what your thoughts on this book. Because I need to talk
1: about it with someone. I really
0: do. <laughs> um, and that is On the Savage Side by Tiffany McDaniel.
1: All right. So my second pick, unfortunately, following the same vein, I was not able to finish this one easier or either because I had a heck of a time trying to track down a copy of it because – Well, it's brand new, and the copy where I work was checked out. Copy at my home library is checked out. All the digital copies are checked out. I finally managed to realize that there's an audio version on Hoopla, which is what I'm currently listening to. But uh, yeah, I have not been able to finish it in time for this recording. But anyway, the book is uh, one that I think I talked about the last time I recorded was Scorched Grace by Margot Duahy. Also, real quickly, the audiobook is narrated by Mara Wilson, and if you're thinking, hmm, that sounds like the actress who played Matilda in the the movie from the 90s with Danny DeVito, that is the exact same Mara Wilson, which I did not realize until I started listening to it. (laughs) So that's fun. Um, Also, she makes one heck of an audiobook narrator. Holy cow. Like, I had no idea, and I had no preconceptions going into this. I'm like, wow. Anyway... Um, Scorch Grace is a debut novel, and it is also the first book published under uh, Gillian Flynn's brand new publishing imprint. And I can see why she was drawn to this type of book and why she's talked about it so much. It's, I mean, it's definitely its own thing, but I am seeing glimpses of some of Gillian Flynn's writing in here. But this book Uh, The main character is Sister Holiday, who is a nun at the St. Sebastian School in New Orleans, Um, but she is not your typical nun. She previously was a chain-smoking punk rocker. She's heavily tattooed, basically from her neck down to her ankles. She is queer. And so, oh, and she has a gold tooth as well. Thought I'd throw that in there. (laughs) And so she is not your typical nun. And in the book, the crime at the center of the story is there is one of the buildings is set on fire. Um, They determine pretty quickly that it's arson, and a member of the faculty is killed in the fire. And Sister Holiday is she is present or she sees the the fire get started. She doesn't know who she doesn't know what happened, but she helps save a couple of students from the building, and so she's very much in the thick of it. And she quickly becomes disillusioned with the response from the first responders, from the fire department, from the, from the police. And she's like, you know, they're not taking this seriously, or they're not, they're following the wrong leads. They're not giving, you know, they're not giving its, this crime the proper attention. So she decides she's going to take matters into her own hands and figure out what happened. And this book the, like I alluded to earlier, the language is first and foremost, like the, the centerpiece of the story. It is, not only does it bring about like the feeling of the the oppressive heat of New Orleans, which I've been there, I was in New Orleans in June about six and a half years ago. It is, I'm, I'm reading this and I'm like, oh my gosh, I am feel I'm just sweltering just reading this. But The language that she uses to talk about the, not only the setting, but the school and religion and the idea of tradition and history and all of these things that come together and why she feels drawn to, why she felt drawn to this particular calling that's so drastically different from her previous life. And you very much get the get the sense she has a very hardened cynical bleak outlook on life but like like you mentioned before there are like she's able to recognize beauty in certain things and that there are you know that there're things worth fighting for so it's it's a really beautifully written complex narr- narrative ocean that we're kind of that we're kind of in that everything's wrapped in and Yeah, I think this book, honestly, this is probably one of the big, this is going to be one of the big draws for readers. Like, If you are a reader that really notices clever turns of phrase or um, descriptive language, or if that's how you connect with a story, I think this one is that this is going to be a really good book for you to kind of work work your way into to kind of find yourself with this book. But Yeah, it's it's very much an experience. Um, If you are an audio fan, I definitely recommend picking it up on audio. Um, And if your library has access to Hoopla, you can check it out right away without having to worry about holds lists. It's great. But yeah, so unfortunately, like I said, I'm only I'm only a couple of hours into the book. It's not terribly long. I think it's maybe only I think it's just under like 10 hours total. But yeah, you get and in terms of the noir concept, you get that sense like immediately from the first page that that is very much what we are reading. It is right off the bat. That is, you know, that is what we are reading. So if you are looking to kind of scratch that classic noir reading itch, this would be a really, really good one to pick up. And thank you, Kendra, for pointing out that this was available on Hoopla.
0: Anytime. I am here (laughs) to preach the gospel of Hoopla.
1: Yes, and normally, and I do, I do use Hoopla a fair amount, but for whatever reason, because this was so brand new, and I'm like, oh, this isn't going to be on Hoopla, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, yay! So yes, I am going to keep listening to this one, but um, again, that is Scorch Grace by Margot Duahy and narrated by Mara Wilson.
0: And those are our four picks, and I guess it's now it's time for new books, new books.
1: Yes. And why don't you go ahead and take it away since I just finished speaking. (laughs) All
0: right. So I, like many of us, wear multiple hats here at Book Riot. So I also edit the nonfiction newsletter. So I'm always looking for the perfect intersection of true crime, which is red or dead and true story like together. And so I have a a book that I saw was coming out. So I am looking forward to reading We Were Once a Family, a story of love, death, and child removal in America by Roxana Asgarian. And this is a book about, that really started when rescue workers found a crumpled SUV with two women who had died and there were, there were children there. And so like, there's a story of them removing children and not looking for their original families and and what she finds in this one case kind of expands she realizes that at the border children are being separated from their parents put into the welfare system in Texas and they're like relatives are not being looked for. The goal of reunification is not there. And they're actually adopting out these children without even doing the due diligence of trying to find their families. And she's trying to track down why this is, how this has been happening, why, who let this slide. And and this is that investigative journalist look into all of those questions. So obviously there are trigger warnings here for harm to children, harm to migrants, and death as well. So just, you know, as a heads up, but I think this is a book that's been a long time in coming. I believe she's written pieces, like shorter pieces that have gone up in different places. But um, this is definitely one to keep on your radar if you're looking for more true crime.
1: Yeah, I've seen this book. It's been mentioned a couple of times because in when I do the library newsletter, I – put together a list of books that are mentioned that have been mentioned multiple times in the media um and i think in my most recent newsletter i think i remember putting this one in there cuz it was um it was getting reviews in in you know new york times washington post and stuff like that so it, it seems it seems like it, it's getting a, a lot of positive attention
0: yeah yeah i i think so i'm looking forward to seeing reviews of this book and, and like what what has come out about it i think that this is really continuing a trend of true crime kind of there's it's moving away from the sensationalized, you know, stories of, you know, dead white girls as the trope is, your air quotes, to actual like true crime investigative true crime things like um Seven Fallen Feathers, you know, investigating the deaths of Indigenous youth up in Canada and so I feel like this is definitely like a push that true crime can be a way a journalist, you know, seeks justice for for these children. So, but what is your new book that you are looking at?
1: Mine is uh, one of my most anticipated books of the year. I'm very excited that it's out. In fact, I saw it on the new bookshelf today uh, at work, and I had to stop myself from grabbing it because I've already got a giant stack already at home. But this is Red London by Alma Katsu, and this is continuing her Lindsay Duncan uh, espionage series, which started with the book uh, Red Widow, which was excellent. And I loved listening to that book. And so this is the second. Uh, Follows Lindsay Duncan, um, who's a CIA agent. She is in London. And she is about to kind of carry on from the events of book one, when her MI6 counterpart Davis uh, calls for her assistance, because there has been an attack on a Russian oligarch in London. And he needs Lindsay to kind of Warm her way into the, his social scene and see if she can get information from the uh, Russian man's British wife, Emily. And so Lindsay takes on that role. She befriends Emily. But before she can get very far in her relationship, the CIA unveils that there is a disturbing connection between Mikhail who the uh, the Russian man whose home was attacked and other events happening in Russia. And so when they discovered this potential connection, they realized, oh wow, this is a lot bigger deal than we realized. And as I've mentioned uh, about the previous book and uh, this one, why I'm so excited for it, Alma um, Katsu has multiple decades worth of experience in the intelligence community, I guess, a uh, profession. But Red Widow was so was it was so fascinating and for someone who doesn't usually go for espionage thrillers, this one was very much a breath of fresh air. It was like very grounded in reality and very realistic. And it was just spectacularly written. And I am very much looking forward to, uh, hopefully, more of the same uh, with this book. And that, is, again, is Red London by Alma Katsu. And that is out today on March 14th.
0: Well, that is... That's all of our books for noir. I feel like there's a lot of great options.
1: Yes. <laughs> Lots of fantastic options.
0: And non-noir. Yes. Yes, we have we have a little bit of everything. But yes, that is our show for today. Thanks so much to everyone for listening. Thanks so much to our wonderful, wonderful sound editor, Jen Zink, for always making us sound our best. Uh, for show notes, you can head over to bookriot.com slash listen. For more book recommendations and bookish goodness, head over to bookriot.com and don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search book riot in your podcast player of choice. And again, all of the books mentioned today will be linked in the show notes. If you want to send us an email, a feedback or other show suggestions, you could check out, um, you can reach us, I should say at red or dead at bookriot.com. Uh, you can find me, Kendra, on Twitter and Instagram at KDWinchester. And you can find Katie on Twitter at KT underscore library lady. Yes, they will be linked to the show notes as well. And we will talk to you all next time.
1: Bye.